welcome to Archive Treasures, where we delve into the collection of the Trentham and Districts Historical Society to see what treasures we can discover. Each episode of Archive Treasures, we will be speaking to a member from the Historical Society. They will be telling us about something special, an object that has been preserved as part of the archival collection, an interesting event that occurred, or a project that the Society is undertaking. Archive Treasures is produced on Jajawarong country. We acknowledge and pay respects to the traditional owners, and we would also like to extend our respects to their elders, both past and present. As the school year begins, and students, young and not so young, finally return to the classroom, we look back to how it was for past residents who attended school in our community. There were up to 21 schools in Trentham and Districts in the late 1800s. Every few miles as you travelled, depending upon the population, you may have come across a schoolhouse with a teacher's residence attached. Between 2006 and 2008, there were several articles published in the Record and Newsletters about the history of local schools. These were mostly written by Ina Bertrand, using source material from many members of the Historical Society and the local community. The articles detailed many of these 21 schools, how they came about, and some of the politicking that was involved. In this episode, we share with you selections from those articles. Trentham and District Historical Society, Inc. Recorder. Volume 9, Number 4, December 2008. The Schools Around Trentham. Garlic's Lead, Newbury. In the Trentham Gazette, 29th of December 1937, an old resident, Ed Robson, reminisced about Newbury in the 60s. That was the 1860s. We reproduce here some of that article, particularly as it refers to the school. Seventy years ago, the settlement of Garlick's Lead was a thriving, prosperous community. The population of several hundred consisted mainly of miners and their families, the average number of a family being from 9 to 12. Water was then overabundant, the seasons much colder than now, while in the surrounding forest there were many wild animals, including koalas, kangaroos, bandicoots, native cats, wild cattle, wallabies, wombats and others. In 1879, the first state school was opened the teacher being J.T. Raw. The attendants numbered 90 to 93 children, and a pupil teacher named Wellman assisted. Still residing at Newbury are Miss Lucy Dolphin, Bill and Jim Bunt, and Tom Kays, who were amongst my schoolmates at the first school. The completion of the road contract was followed by the removal of the post office from Newbury to Delaney's, and from then on, Garlick's Lead became known as Newbury, although the school is still called Garlick's Lead, and the Electoral Division still retains the original name, 
which was derived from the first miner to locate gold there. School teachers to follow J.T. Raw were Hansford, Lord, Hutchinson, Richards, Sexton, Dillon and Miss E.M. Fletcher, the present teacher who has had charge for over 20 years. The school was described in Vision and Realisation, the official history of the Department of Education, like this. 1289 Garlick's Lead, Newbury In Garlick's Lead, a township about three miles south of Trentham, in 1870, a committee was formed to establish a common school vested in the Board of Education. Its members were George Nixon, Joseph Minturn, John Weir, Henry Jackson and the correspondent, Dennis Delaney. On the 30th of November 1871, application was made to the Board of Education for £100 to establish a school. This was granted on the 17th of January 1873. The school, to be a wooden building, 30 feet by 18 feet, with a shingle roof, lined to a height of 6 feet but without a ceiling. A one-acre site west of Blue Creek had been selected and approved by D.I.J. Main. Although the committee had £50 towards an estimated total cost of £142, 7 shillings and sixpence, the building was still incomplete when the site was gazetted on the 4th of March 1873. And on the 11th of December, a contract to complete the building was let to William Miller for £115, 10 shillings. For some time, a resident named Guernsey had taught the children, without any encouragement. A departmental memo estimated some 76 children in the locality and that an average attendance of 50 might be expected. The school opened on the 1st of February 1874, with John T. Raw as head teacher. But several months passed before furniture was supplied at a cost of £31.08. shillings. In 1874, the head teacher reported that the ground is so thickly covered with fallen trees of the most gigantic dimensions that it is impossible for the children to play with either pleasure or safety. A residence was erected in 1865 by George Laver at a cost of £195. On the 26th of November 1875, application was made to enlarge the school reserve to five acres. But the additional land was not gazetted until the 27th of January 1893. On the 25th of February 1900, both school and residence were destroyed by fire, while the head teacher, W.H. Dillon, and his family was at church. Garlick's lead Wesleyan Church was leased as a schoolhouse for seven shillings and sixpence weekly. It had no stoves and the weather was bitterly cold. The head teacher wrote, When school opened this morning, the whole countryside was white with snow and the temperature was 32 degrees Fahrenheit, about minus five. The building from SS1633 at Jackson's Creek, near Stall, was re-erected at Garlick's lead at a cost of £107. By the 5th of June 1907, enrolment stood at 48. The school building was destroyed by fire on the 16th of September 1914 and the Methodist Church leased temporarily. The new building, from number 1333, 
Upper Campaspe, was re-erected at Garlick's lead and occupied on the 30th of August 1915. Attendance decreased to six pupils in 1938 and number 1287 officially closed on the 2nd of April 1952. Trentham District Historical Society, Inc. Recorder, Volume 7, Number 3, September 2006. Schools of the Trentham District. Union Steam Sawmill Common School, State School 1010, by Ina Bertrand. In 1868, a private school could be erected without approval from the State Board of Education, or the Board of Education could build and run a school. But there was also a third way, a vested school. This was when a local community could demonstrate that a new school would not be within two miles of an existing supported school, could promise that they would erect the building, and could guarantee an acceptable minimum enrolment. If approved, they could apply for financial assistance for the building, and once the school was vested in the board, the board would appoint a teacher and would provide financial support for building maintenance. The teacher's pay came partly from the Board of Education and partly from fees, so it was in the teacher's interest to find a school where enrolments were high and steady. Both state and vested schools were administered by the Board of Education, but the community had a say through their local Board of Advice, which was responsible for the day-to-day administration, including the spending of grant money, of all the schools in the district. An application for such a vested school to be built on the northeast corner of the junction of what is now Colliban Road and the Trentham Dalesford Road was made in 1868 on behalf of the community living around JB Ender's Union Steam Sawmill. It was proposed to charge sixpence weekly per pupil and ninepence weekly for those over eight years of age. The application was signed by JB Ender's William Northall. Robert Alexander, F.W. Thrum and Michael Tilley. The site was stated to be more than two miles from Daniels Creek School, number 966, which was likely to close soon anyway, and less than three miles from Trentham School, number 629, which was at that time located at the corner of Pearson's Road. The inspector, sent out to look at the proposal, recommended that it be approved, unless the concurrent application to move Trentham School into the centre of the township also be approved, as that would bring the two schools within two miles of each other. On the 18th of June, 1869, Michael Tilley wrote to the board in response to the inspector's report. He pointed out that the proposed site was close to the residences of the children whose fathers worked at the sawmill, that it was in a healthy location on an eminence and close to a spring, and one well served by all-weather roads. The board agreed and approved the building of a one-room timber school and a five-room timber teacher's residence beside it. These were erected to plans approved by the board and under the supervision of the local committee, who also funded half the cost. Union Steam Sawmill School, number 1010, opened in February 1870, with a small committee comprising J.B. Enders, William Northall, 
Michael Tilley, Robert Alexander and Edward Lord. James Thompson was the first teacher, and he lived in the residence next door with his family. Minor improvements were made to the buildings in the first few years. The addition of shelves in the schoolroom and in the porch, hat pegs in the porch, and the clearing of trees from the playground. However, that concurrent proposal to move the Trentham School into town continued to be debated, and the decision was eventually reached to relocate School 629 to Central Trentham. Though State School 1855, which replaced Number 629, did not open in Bridge Street until the 1st of June 1875, the cat was among the pigeons well before then. In 1873, Inspector Main recommended that school number 1010 be shifted about two miles further along Colliban Road. As Daniels Creek School was now closed in approximately January 1873, the new location would be roughly halfway between the continuing Spring Hill School, number 1920, and the new site of Trentham School, number 1588. It met the Board of Education's requirement that no two schools be within two miles of each other, and was expected to even out the enrolments among the three schools. James Thompson was in favour of the move, presumably because it would bring him more paying pupils, and wrote to the board in February 1874, asking them to confirm the decision, as he would otherwise make improvements to the residents before winter. But Enders was incensed that the buildings, which he had helped to fund, were to be shifted so far away from his children, and wrote a five-page letter to the board opposing the move. You can just about see the steam coming out of his ears as he writes, too angry to bother with niceties such as punctuation or paragraphing. Robert Alexander also opposed the move, 20th of February 1874, while admitting that a new school was probably needed halfway between the current Union Steam site and the Spring Hill School. In June 1874, Enders wrote out a petition against the removal of the school, which was signed by 21 residents and delivered in person to the minister. James Thompson pointed out, letter to the Board of Education, 8th of June 1874, that the two acres currently surveyed for the new location would be too small for the teacher to keep a horse, and requested that it be enlarged to five acres. The site was part of a 20-acre water reserve near the Wesleyan Chapel. Despite continuing community dissension, tenders were called for the removal of both the school building and the teacher's residence. Enders' next move was to persuade the local Member of Parliament, Mr Young, Member for Kyneton, to bring the matter up in the House of Assembly, which prompted a counter-petition signed by 43 residents, including teacher James Thompson, urging the government to hold to the decision to move the school. In July, there was a heated exchange in the letters page of the Kyneton Guardian between Enders and Thomas Raw, who became the spokesperson for those in favour of the move. Raw was the teacher at Trentham School No. 692 and had moved with his pupils to the new school No. 1588. Both the teachers most directly affected were now favouring the removal probably because both could expect their income to rise as a result. The government was finally forced to start all over again, sending out a new inspector to meet with residents and make a new recommendation. His report, 28th of August 1874, shows that those who signed the petition against removal 
represented 36 children, and those who signed the petition in favour represented 64 children. So he supported the original recommendation of Mr Main that the school should be moved. On the 14th of October, 1874, James Thompson wrote again to the department, pointing out that the enlarged enrolment expected at the new site would require more accommodation than was available in the present building, and that as he had a large family, he would prefer a larger teacher's residence. Suddenly, the issue became not just a matter of moving existing buildings, but of replacing the old buildings with new ones, or moving the old ones and then adding to them. New expense and new responsibility on the school committee. A responsibility that everyone knew that at least Enders, and possibly the whole school committee, would refuse to accept. Enders wrote again at length, 5th of October, four pages this time, and again visited the local member and won his support. The decision was once again rescinded. Patrick Abberton wrote indignantly to the minister, 26th of October 1874, pointing out that removal had been supported by two inspectors, the Board of Advice and the majority of the inhabitants of the district, and forwarding yet another petition in favour of removal. But the department had finally decided that they had had enough. They announced that a new school would be built on the new site and that number 1010 would continue on its present site. This drew a request from James Thompson, 19th of November 1874, that he be transferred to the new school, as he estimated that it would have 50 to 75 pupils, and that number 1010's attendance would decline to 20 to 30. At this point, there is a large gap in the file, so it is not clear just what happened next. Ultimately, however, no new school was built at Daniels Creek, and the Union Steam Sawmill School, later known as Coliban School, did continue on its original site. I.R. Hewlett was head teacher in place of James Thompson by the mid-1876, and the file contains several requests from him for school equipment and for repairs and maintenance on the buildings. For instance, in July 1878, he reported that the school's out-office, which I presume is the toilet, had been blown down in a storm and would require new foundations. In December 1878, William Kavanagh took up the position of head teacher and expressed his disappointment at having to pay five shillings per month rent on a residence which he described as being in a ruinous condition. The roof leaks, a hole is cut in one side, some of the bricks have fallen out of the chimney, and the whole house wants a thorough repairing. On the 21st of October 1881, he described how the porch of the school faced south and had no door, so no protection from rain and snow. In the previous two days, heavy snow had fallen and been blown into the porch. Some of the snow had melted and had flowed in under the door of the school, rendering the school bitterly cold in spite of a large fire. On the 29th of January, 1883, he requested repairs to the residence. Last winter, two of the rooms could not be used as the rain came through the shingles as through a sieve. The ceiling is hanging down in strips and large holes may be seen in the roof, which, though healthy and indeed pleasant in summer, are exactly the reverse in winter, when, be it remembered, it often rains for weeks together. 
In March that year, the building was inspected and the report commented that the shingles were beyond repair and recommended that they be replaced with iron. The schoolyard was fenced in 1889, but by then the teacher's residence was no longer in use and further problems were arising. These are described by Yankee Tom Enders in yet another letter, 19th of December 1891, objecting to the proposal to close the school completely. Once again, the department requested a report, and Inspector Eddy, 25th of January 1892, recommended the closure of the school, as all the pupils could be accommodated at either Trentham, 1588, or Little Hampton, 1700. The school ceased operation in December 1891, and the teacher's residence had been burnt down by June 1892. After that, the school building was leased as a residence for a few years, but no repairs were done at all, and it eventually became uninhabitable and was abandoned. The site, with what was left of the school, was sold at public auction on the 8th of March 1907. You have been listening to Stories from Within the Archives. I'm Rosie Hill and this is Archive Treasures. If you would like to hear further episodes, you can find our podcasts on our website, on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and the Podbean app. Archive Treasures is produced by the Trentham and Districts Historical Society. If you'd like to contact us, you can send an email to hs@trentham.org.au, or go to our Facebook page, Trentham and Districts Historical Society, Australia. I hope you can tune in next time for more Archive Treasures. Archive Treasures